0: Well, one of the most talked-about books in recent days is Sheryl Sandberg's bestseller, Lean In. Sandberg is a Harvard Business School grad, a former assistant to the Secretary of the Treasury, and the current Chief Operating Officer of Facebook. A couple of years ago, Forbes magazine named her as the fifth most powerful woman in America, one notch above Michelle Obama. In her book, Lean In, Women Work and the Will to Lead, Sandberg calls on women to reach their full potential as women, as human beings, as leaders in society. Her years in the marketplace, in government, in academia have convinced her that all too often women hold themselves back. They stifle their dreams, their aspirations, their ambitions, their careers, and even their personal lives. And they do that, she says, because they're afraid. They're afraid that if they're too smart or too powerful, or too capable, they might intimidate the men in their lives. They're afraid that in order to have a successful career, they have to give up a happy family life, or vice versa. They're afraid they might fail, afraid they might look foolish, afraid they might disappoint someone else's expectations of them. And so in her book, Sandberg calls women out, and she challenges them to lean in, Lean in to their ambitions, their talents, their aspirations, and their opportunities. She wants them to take risks, to stretch themselves, to try something new. What would you do if you weren't afraid? She asks her readers. As you can imagine, uh, her book has prompted a lot of conversation and a little bit of controversy. An equally powerful woman named Rosa Brooks is a Georgetown law professor And she argues that uh, the problem isn't with women, but with society, that continues to expect women to bear the brunt of domestic responsibilities and child-rearing, even as they try to pursue their careers and ambitions. So her recommendation for women is to lean out, to refuse to go along. In fact, she says, lean back and put your feet up. (laughs) The way to change this whole game is to boycott and refuse to try to... Just try harder. Women of the world, she says, recline. <laughs> so, whatever direction you might be inclined to lean in, it's clear that Sandberg is onto something. She has tapped into a pervasive and deep seated tension that many women feel today as they try to juggle the demands of home, work, and personal life. And they're finding that they just can't do it all. And then along comes the church telling them to live on mission. To join God in His work. To do their part in saving the world and restoring the planet. Lean in. It's enough to make a woman want to lay down and just give up. Now what we're discovering this year is that living on mission is not about adding something to your everyday lives. It's about aligning your everyday life with the mission God has called you to. Living on mission is not about adding something else to your everyday lives. It's about aligning your everyday life with the mission God has called you to. It's about leveraging the things we are already doing so that they serve God's purposes in the world and enable us to fulfill His call on our lives. So back in January, we talked about how to do that on the job, a series we called Work Matters, and we learned how to fulfill our mission in and through our work. Well, this spring, we're looking at all the other aspects of life. We're calling it Everyday Matters and learning how we can fulfill our mission at home and in the neighborhood and in the church and and in the wider world around us. So for a few weeks here, we're going to concentrate on living on mission at home. And today, we're going to talk about household chores. (laughs) Cooking, cleaning, laundry, running errands, yard work, home improvement, the paying bills. Those everyday tasks and responsibilities we all do just to function in this world. Now, right about now, some of the women are probably saying, what do you mean we? We? since a lot of these things tend to fall primarily on women these days. A recent survey actually shows that uh, in 2011, women are doing about 18 hours of housework a week, while men do about 10 hours a week. Now, that certainly doesn't sound fair, but it's a marked improvement over 1965, when women did about 32 hours of housework compared to 4 for men. Now, you'll notice that altogether we're doing about eight hours less of housework, so I don't know what that says about (laughs) our lives, but it still occupies an awful lot of our time and energy and hours of the day. Is it possible to do these everyday tasks in a way that actually helps us to accomplish our mission? That's the question we're going to go after this morning as we turn to a rather infamous passage of Scripture, Proverbs 31. Now, in many Bibles, this section is entitled, The Wife of Noble Character, or something like that. And many people, women in particular, have kind of a love-hate relationship with this passage. On the one hand, it extols the virtues of womanhood. On the other hand, it has often been used to reinforce some unhealthy stereotypes that are not always helpful. So let's try to take a look at it together again, and uh, we're going to discover that while this text highlights a woman, its principles actually apply to men as well. The section begins in verse 10. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm. All the days of her life. Now, this is the final chapter of the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom, sayings that give us skill for living. And this final section profiles a person of wisdom. In other words, they, this person embodies everything the book of Proverbs has talked about for 30 some chapters. If you could wrap it up into one person's life, this is what it would look like. Now, it happens that the person is a woman. Which is interesting because throughout the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a woman. In fact, the word wife uh, here in verse 10 could just as easily be translated woman. So it has a broader application, but it just happens to be from a married woman's perspective. As it turns out, this is actually a mother's advice to her son telling him what to look for in a wife. He tells her to look for a noble woman. That word noble has a variety of ideas. It has strength, it has character, it has competence, all rolled into one. And because of this woman's strength and character and competence, her husband is well off. Because of of all she does for him, she provides him with everything he needs to live a good and productive life. And notice that she does this for him every day, all the days of her life. Now again, even though it's speaking about a wife, it has broader application because we all have people in our lives for whom we have opportunities to do good every day. If not spouses, then parents or children or siblings or roommates or nieces or nephews or neighbors. When we do everyday things for these people, when we do them well, when we do them with the right spirit, we set them and us up for good and meaningful lives. Now, the saying is that a good man is hard to find. Well, it turns out a good woman is just as hard to find. And so this mother gives some advice to her son, telling him what to look for in a good wife before I get to her description, I thought I'd share with you someone else's perspective. This one I came across in some of my research this week. This is a little piece from a a magazine called Housekeeping Monthly published in May 13, 1965. And it's called The Good Wife's Guide. Are you ready? (laughs) Plan ahead, even the night before, to have a delicious dinner ready when your husband gets home from work. This is a way of letting him know you've been thinking about him and are concerned with his needs. Prepare yourself. Put on some makeup. Put a ribbon in your hair and be fresh looking. (laughs) He's been with a lot of work-weary people. Prepare the children. Take a few minutes to wash them up, brush their hair, and change their clothes if needed. Remember, they are little treasures, and he would like to see them playing the part. Have a cool or warm drink for him, and arrange his pillow and take off his shoes. (laughs) Over the cooler months, you should prepare and light a fire for him to unwind by. (laughs) After all, catering to his comfort will bring you immense satisfaction. (laughs) Let him talk first. (laughs) Remember that his topics of conversation are more important than yours. Never complain if he comes home late or goes out to dinner or entertainment without you. Instead, try to understand his world of strain and pressure and his need to relax. Ah, the good old days. (laughs) Obviously, times have changed. The irony is that there really is some wisdom here. It's just buried beneath layers of stereotype and patriarchy. There really is something good and noble about serving another person, about meeting their needs, about listening to their concerns, about putting them first, about bringing them joy. That's a good and noble thing to do. It was just just never meant to flow just one way wife to husband or a woman to man. The New Testament tells us to love one another, serve one another, defer to one another, submit to one another across all of our relationships. The New Testament tells husbands to love their wives, to care for their wives and cherish their wives as they take care of themselves, to lay down their own lives for the well-being of their wives. So once again, these verses, though they're addressed to women, they speak to all of us and to the multiple relationships we have with people who are a part of our everyday lives. So let's see what these everyday tasks and responsibilities look like. Verse 13. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. The first thing this woman does is to clothe her family. She selects the appropriate fabrics, and fashions them into garments that are comfortable and appropriate for the climate and the culture in which we live. And in our world today, fathers and mothers spend an awful lot of time and energy and money clothing their families. Now, most are not making clothes from scratch anymore, but it still takes a lot of hours to shop for the clothes, wash the clothes, fold the clothes, put the clothes away, iron the clothes once in a while lay the clothes out the night before, fight with them the next morning when they don't want want to wear what you have laid out. (laughs) It's awfully time-consuming and tedious and repetitive. But you get the sense that this woman clothes her family not just with wool and flax, but with love and care. Verse 14. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. We picture this woman going from stall to stall in the marketplace, looking for just the right thing, negotiating just the right price. You could compare it to running errands today. How many hours a week do we spend in the car running from one place to another, commuting to work, running errands, driving to soccer games or doctor's appointments or meetings on the other side of town? How do you spend those hours? What do you think about while you're sitting in the car? Have have you tried praying as you drive or being attentive to what God might be saying to you? How do you treat the people you encounter as you run those errands? Receptionists, cashiers, other drivers. Have you found that you can have meaningful conversations when you're riding in a car with someone? Sometimes with your kids, they talk a lot better when they don't have to look you in the eye. Verse 15, she gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. How many hours a week are spent feeding the people that we care about? Planning menus, making lists, running from Stop and Shop to Market Basket to Costco to Whole Foods for just the right thing at just the right price. And that's just the shopping for it. Then there's the unpacking it and the putting it all the way. And then there's preparing it for a meal. And then there's the serving. it, And then a few minutes later, you clean it all up and you do it all over again the next day. How many meals does a typical woman prepare in her lifetime? It's a scary thought. Hopefully you get a break from it today. Right, men? And can anyone remember what they had for dinner last Tuesday? Probably not. But that dinner got us through those, that particular day and ready for the next one. It takes hours a week to feed people. But that's what you do when you care about them. Verse 16, She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Apparently, this woman works outside the home as well. She's dabbling in real estate, flipping fields, seems like. (laughs) She's got a small business going, providing some grapes to the local winemaker or maybe a microbrewery of her own. (laughs) They tell us the average woman spends about 21 hours a week on a paying job these days, compared with about eight hours a week in 1965. Women bring in about 45% of family income today. It's become a real juggling act for women and men today to take care of business and take care of home and family at the same time. But we do it. We work hard at it to provide a quality of life for the people we care about. Verse 17, she sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. This gal can show off her arms. (laughs) Not because she's been to the gym. How many of our everyday tasks involve manual labor? Cleaning, vacuuming, raking, fixing, painting, swinging a hammer. Verse 18 She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. Now she's managing money, making trades online. Paying bills, balancing the checkbook, filling out FAFSA forms and getting your taxes in on time. How often do we do that kind of work at night when finally the house is quiet and no one's going to interrupt us? We we work hard for that money. We want to spend it carefully. We want to invest it wisely. It takes a lot of time to manage our finances, but we do it to provide for the people that we love. Not just food and shelter, but health care and education and a secure retirement. Verse 21, when it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. It snows even in Jerusalem sometimes. But she's not afraid of it. How many of our everyday hours are spent dealing with the weather? We probably spend an hour a day just tracking the weather (laughs) on our phones, on our tablets, on the TV screen. But consider how many conversations every day get started with a comment about the weather. How many connections have you made with your neighbors as you shovel out after a blizzard or batten down the hatches in anticipation of a nor'easter? Verse 22, she makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed in fine linen and purple. Here's a woman making herself and her home beautiful. For the people that she loves, with no HGTV to help her, <laughs> we bless people when we provide them with the beautiful space in which to live or work or be. We revive people's spirit with flashes of color and shape and fragrance, bringing beauty to life. And now, I'll come back to verse twenty. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy a noble woman not only cares for the ones that she loves but extends herself to those in need around her nearby and even far away visiting someone in a hospital making a meal for a family in a time of need opening her home to someone volunteering in the community sponsoring a child overseas sitting on the board of a nonprofit how many lives are touched and blessed by these volunteer hours we all give every week? Well, you can begin to see where this is all headed. All these hours, all these ordinary days, all these everyday chores, they begin to add up to something. They really begin to make a difference in the lives of people around us, in the life of the community in which we live. Look at verse 23. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Because of this woman's faithful work, her everyday work, her husband has become a man of influence. His decisions help to shape life in their city and in their nation. I was going to say that's how it worked in those days. Behind every good man was a good woman, but it's still how it works these days. And behind every successful woman, you'll probably find a supportive husband or father or friend. Behind every star athlete or musician or scholar, you'll find a parent or a relative who drives them around and pays the bills and keeps them in school and feeds them and gets them to sleep so that they can do the work they're supposed to do. Verse 25, she is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. Sheryl Sandberg would be impressed. This woman's not afraid of anything. She's strong. She's invincible. She is woman. <laughs> Shout out to Helen Reddy in the 1970s, okay? These daily tasks, these weekly chores, they've not only strengthened her arms, they've strengthened her character. They've given her confidence. She can face the future, whatever it holds. Now, parents, let me let you in on a little secret here. We think we build our children's self esteem and confidence by telling them how wonderful they are, by giving them awards just for showing up. Now, those are nice things to do. But you know how a child gains self confidence? By doing something. By actually being given a job and doing the job. By being assigned to a project and finishing the project. Every time a child does something, completes something, every time they make a bed or mow the lawn or wash the dishes, they they, they begin to gain a sense of confidence and competence that they really can do something. Chores matter. Sorry, kids. (laughs) You'll thank me later. Verse 26. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Everything you need to know, your mother probably told you first. And she probably told it to you in some everyday context as you cruised through the kitchen on your way from one room to another, as you were heading out the door on the way to school, or jumping out the car when you got dropped off somewhere. One of Karen's favorite pearls of wisdom was, if you got a job to do, do it now. Our kids always appreciated it when she said that to them. (laughs) Verse 28, her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. You see, when we faithfully fulfill our everyday roles and responsibilities, the people around us are free now to become the people they were meant to be, to fulfill their potential, and as they do, they will thank us for what we've contributed to them. We've all seen Olympic athletes and Academy Award winners thank their parents and their spouses for all the sacrifices that were made so that they could flourish and be successful. Verse 29, many women do noble things, her husband says, but you surpass them all. You see what this woman has become? A woman of influence, a woman of character, a, a woman of wisdom, a woman who has made her mark on the world. Not just by what she's accomplished, but why all the people she served has accomplished with their lives as well, simply by fulfilling her everyday roles and responsibilities. For many years, uh, the musical "rent" was one of the most popular shows on Broadway. It uh, followed the careers of a group of young, aspiring artists trying to make it in New York City. It was said in the days of the AIDS crisis when many young lives were being lost to that disease. One of the enduring songs from that uh, musical is Seasons of Love. Listen to just a few of the words. 525,600 minutes. How do you measure, measure a year? 525,000 journeys to plan. How do you measure the life of a woman or a man in inches in miles in laughter in strife how do you measure measure a life how about love how about love measure in love the song is reminding us that our lives are measured in days and days are measured in minutes And minutes add up when they're offered in love to the people around us. I'll say that again. Lives are measured in days, and days are measured in moments, and moments add up when we offer them in love to the people around us. And living on mission is about seizing those moments. It's about recognizing them. It's about making them count because they matter. A diaper changed or not changed, it matters, doesn't it? (laughs) A tree planted or not planted, it matters, doesn't it? Especially 20 years from now. A phone call made or not made matters to the person who's waiting for that call. An act of kindness, done or not done, it matters to the person who needs help. A smile offered or withheld. Words of love spoken or left unsaid. A conversation begun or never had. An invitation to church offered or stifled. These things matter, don't they? They are central to our mission. There's a person on the other side of every one of these transactions There's a relationship that's either being nurtured or stifled. There's a community that's either being enriched or diminished. Yesterday, as we heard, 800-some folks from Grace Chapel spanned out over a variety of communities to serve people in Jesus' name. They cleaned up parks. They beautified neighborhoods. They made cards for prisoners They threw parties for families in need. They visited seniors. They thanked veterans. They stocked food pantries. They cleaned up backyards. I was so inspired by people's enthusiasm and commitment, even on a rainy Saturday morning. And for the most part, the work they were doing was everyday work. It was raking and cleaning and picking up garbage and serving food and moving things from one place to another and driving around and having conversations. But, but it counted. Four hours on a Saturday, 71 projects, 824 ordinary people. But it all adds up to something, doesn't it? How about love? Love. How about letting people know that God loves them and loves this world? You see, it matters, these things we do every day. And how exciting to be launching yet another campus, a congregation of people moving to a community where they can fan out and in the name of Jesus serve people and offer acts of love that bless their lives. A few weeks ago I mentioned a Neighborhood Bible study that Karen and I had with some folks in our neighborhood this past winter. Three couples who live on our street from a variety of religious backgrounds, different places in their spiritual journey. Uh, For some of them, it was the very first time they had ever opened a Bible and read it and talked about it. It was a little bit scary to extend that invitation to our neighbors, and it was a little bit awkward the first time we got together. But you know, we ended up having a great time together. It was such so much fun to see, to see the scriptures come alive for them as they read it and talked about it. And their fresh eyes helped me to see things that I had missed in the familiar stories of Jesus. And week by week, our conversation, our relationships went to places they have never gone before. It was a great experience. But you know what? That that experience was 14 years in the making. 14 years of living on the same street in a regular neighborhood in a, a local town. 14 years of talking at the end of the driveway, waiting with our kids for the school bus, walking home from open school night, driving each other's kids to games trick-or-treating, graduation parties, watching each other's houses when we're away. All the everyday activities that go along with having a home and living in a neighborhood. After 14 years of everyday matters, we found the courage to offer a Bible study and they found the courage to say yes. That's 526,000 minutes times 14 but it adds up to something, doesn't it? But when you lean into it, when you do it in love. But in the end, it's not just about leaning in, is it? Listen to the final verses. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Where does this woman find the courage to seize these moments? Where does she find the strength to follow through on these daily tasks every day? Where does she find the wisdom to recognize these golden opportunities? She finds it in God. She fears God. She lives every day knowing there's a God who loves her and cares for her, a God who is for her. A God who has created her with a sense of mission, who has placed her in a time, in a place, in a neighborhood, in a job, in a home, in a church, in order for her to do something that only she can do in this world for His glory and her joy and the good of people around her. She fears God. And because she fears God, she doesn't need to fear anything else. With courage and faith and joy, she can seize these opportunities and give herself wholly to the people around her. So you see, it's not just about leaning in. It's about leaning up. It's about living our lives in an upward direction towards the good and eternal things that God has called us to seek and do in this world for His glory and for the blessing of others. It's about leaning up. Living on mission is not usually about doing something dramatic or heroic. It's usually an everyday matter. It's doing what needs to be done in the moment it needs to be done, for the person who needs it to be done. But those everyday moments add up to something, to a life of influence, to a legacy of love. And so, if there's someone like this in your life who, over many years, have given themselves in service to you so you can flourish, maybe a mom or maybe someone else, thank them today. Give them the praise they deserve, but don't stop there. Let their example, like this one, inspire you to live every day of your life on mission because every day matters. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these words of wisdom written a long time ago in a language and culture very different from our own and yet speaking with such clarity and relevance to our lives today. Lord, we begin by thanking you for the people in our lives who have given themselves in service to us, perhaps over many years. For those who have had moms who have done that, we give you thanks for them today. Pray you might bless them and strengthen them and give them a sense of joy and fulfillment in a life well-lived and a mission accomplished. For those who have not had a mother like that in their lives, we thank you for others who have come to fill that gap, who have cared and given and served and prayed and loved and helped along the way. We thank you for all of them today. Make us grateful and expressive people. But Lord, even more importantly, we pray that you would fill us with courage, with vision, with a sense of purpose. Open our eyes to the richness of everyday moments to the beauty of every person we encounter and the possibility that we can make an eternal difference simply by the way we live our everyday lives. Help us to do that today and always in Jesus' name, amen.